Um, I'm going to turn it over to our speaker today, um, my longtime friend and coach, Darcy Harris. Darcy is a frequent trainer and speaker and consultant on leadership and management issues. She has worked for many, many years with entrepreneurs here locally uh, to help them improve their businesses. She worked with me on my business for many years, so um, she has much sage advice and is going to share with you a topic that I think is a really interesting one that will hopefully lead you thinking a little bit more about um, the words you say not only out loud, but up here. Thank you again, Yael. Thank you, and it's great to be here with you. It's great to be in a place where there's so many flowers around. So I want to introduce you to my phone, my smartphone. Everybody here's got a smartphone, right? And I don't know about you, but every now and then my phone seems to be sluggish and work really slowly. You're trying to type something in, and it's not picking it up as fast as you type, you go to pull up a contact, it's moving at a snail's pace, or you try to go to the internet and it's just working slowly. And so um, my son said, okay, this is an Android system and what's happening is that there are a lot of applications running in the background that you don't even know are happening. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Okay, we've got some techie people in here that are going, well, duh. So, uh, but he showed me that you just go to this little button here called the Task Manager, and that pulls up the screen, and you can see that was actually working pretty slowly right there, and you go to the, the RAM and hit Clear Memory, and it says 12 applications closed. Boom, just like that. I didn't even know they were going on. So why am I telling you this? Because the same thing happens with people. The same thing happens with us. We have a lot going on in the background, and we're not even consciously aware of it. And what we call that, uh, we call those things that are going on in the background that we're not aware of, stories. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is rewriting the stories that either keep you stuck or hold you back or slow you down and can interfere with your leadership capacity. So I believe that I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, we can't understand you at all. If you could get a little closer to the phone. Oh, so I have to stand right here by this machine. Is that better? That's much better. Thank you. Okay. So um, no, I won't be. Well, certainly, you're not as loud as No dancing around for me. Okay. Um, um, wait, is it better? Stay there. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. I will not move, I promise. I'm standing right in front of this little triangle. Okay. Um, so what the premise is today is that every single person here has the ability to rewrite those stories that are keeping you stuck and allow you to be better leaders. I'm going to show you a process for that that will not begin and end today. It's a tool that will really last you the rest of your lifetime. Anytime you encounter a situation that you think, hmm, maybe something else going on here. So what are stories? Our stories are the assumptions that we make. And these assumptions lead to conclusions. These conclusions harden into beliefs. And that creates a story for us. And most of the time, we've never really examined these assumptions, let alone the conclusions or the beliefs that go along with them. And these 
assumptions, conclusions, and beliefs that become stories interfere with our ability, with our own growth potential. They can turn into self-limiting beliefs. They can affect our beliefs, not just about ourselves, but about other people as well. And obviously, that's going to affect the way we manage and lead. Our stories affect our relationships with everyone around us. And the, the interesting part of this is that the stories that we tell ourselves may not be true. And that's the trick of how do we, find, how do we peel off the layers and get down to what is really true in this situation. So this is mostly unconscious. And until we examine these beliefs, we're really running on autopilot, never questioning. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of, of what I mean when I say stories. A very simple one that I think applies to everyone. I certainly know it applies to me. A very simple story is, I'm not good at fill in the blank. I'm not good at math. I'm not a technical person. For me, it's, I don't handle paper well, which I really think is true. But it's really a story that I've come up with. Uh, or I'm not qualified. I'm not athletic. I'm clumsy. These are stories that are going on for us. That's a simple example. Here's a more complex example. I know a business owner that believes that marketing just doesn't work for his company. He hired a salesperson, a marketing guy, about 10 years ago, paid this person really well for about a year, never really got results, finally ended up severing the relationship. But that turned into a hard and fast belief that marketing does not work in my industry, period, no questions asked. So that's a little more complex. It would take a bit to kind of peel off the layers. And here's one that's even more complex and goes a little bit deeper. I know a woman who owns a construction company, and she is fabulous. She's a great designer. She's got a great team working for her. And her story is, it's just harder for a woman in construction. Why do the men in my industry make more money than the women? It's just easier for a man in my industry. That's her story. That's her belief. Now, I'm going to tell you a few things that are really going on that I know, and actually she and I have talked about. She's about my age, so she came of age in the 70s, and she would describe herself as an aging hippie. She is a very liberal person on every topic that you would talk about. Um, and she often perceives the world as falling into two camps, the greedy, wealthy conservatives versus the general liberals. Am I doing that right? No, wait, but left, right. So to her, the world, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just trying to fill you in on the, on the background. So it's the bad guys versus the good guys. And so if you have this belief system, how could you possibly allow yourself to make over a certain amount of money? Because if you did, it would place you in a demographic group that you have completely condemned, right? She's holding herself back. Her story is, if you make a lot of money, you are a selfish uh, Republican that doesn't care about anything but your own tax rate. And so I, being the liberal person that I am, 
and this is all unconscious. My homework assignment to her as a coach was to go test drive a Mercedes or a BMW and just see if it felt good. Just see, could you, could, could you, you know, tolerate this? Could you get into this? So the reality is she's not charging enough money. It's very simple. She undercharges in comparison with the rest of her market. But she has a story, and she's very attached to that story. And people are so attached to their beliefs and their stories that nothing ever changes. So our stories are our interpretation of the facts and what we have made those facts mean to us because those facts might mean something different to other people. And our stories are not the one and only ultimate truth about what's going on in the world, what's going on in our lives, or the lives of other people. These stories damage our ability to lead because we make assumptions about ourselves and we make assumptions about other people. So how does that play out in the workplace? might affect your uh, either ability or your willingness to give feedback. It's hard to give feedback. Oh, I can't say that because it might hurt their feelings. So it might affect your ability to hold people accountable. Or the flip side of that coin is that one might give feedback too bluntly or in a way that's insensitive coming out of a belief it's just business. It's not personal. It's just business. It's hard to manage people. It's hard to find that right balance and nuance in terms of communication skills. And the starting point is to examine the stories that we've got going on for ourselves. So, for example, I work with a, um, a longtime consulting client in, um, in Dallas and who is extraordinarily successful. But he wasn't always extraordinarily successful. And 20 years ago, when he first started his business, he started with absolutely nothing and built this kingdom from the ground up. So in his initial hiring situation, he spent very little time asking questions of the candidates. He spent a lot of time trying to sell them on how great this company was. Now, what's really going on there? Well, probably he hadn't had a lot of training in interviewing skills, but really deeper than that, what was really going on was his own sense of inadequacy, and he acted much more confident than he was, and his story actually was, I'm kind of a fraud or a phony, I'm really not as good as you, and so I really don't have the right to ask uh, very pointed questions of you. And that story interfered with his ability to hire the top talent and put the right people on his team. So sometimes our stories are positive and affirming, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> okay? so that's great. That's great. Most of the time our stories actually prevent us from expressing our expectations, setting boundaries, or reaching out for what we really want and what we're really capable of, our stories also keep us from being authentic. And our stories define who we are. And because we are unconscious of these stories, then we have to really be intentional about getting past them. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Human nature being what it is, we are much more comfortable with what's safe 
and familiar because that's what we know. It, it sort of creates the ground rules that we, that we live by. These are the rules of the game, and that's what we have understood to be true. Research actually proves that people limit the information that they take in to what validates what they already believe. That might actually be happening now as I speak, right? Because you might be saying, well, that doesn't fit with anything I know, or I heard something that was different, or I learned something different a long time ago. And so it really requires suspending what you are attached to, and that means um, it's a difficult process. Questioning our beliefs is not an easy process. But when we do, it gives us a freedom to explore our own potential and to really tap into the potential of the people that you're managing and leading. So I'm going to take a, an example, and then we're going to take it apart piece by piece and show you how to do this process. And my hope is that we'll have at least 10 minutes um, where each of you can work on your own story and see if you can discover just one little story about yourself. So, in order to question our stories and reframe our beliefs, we have to ask ourselves two or three questions. One is, what are the facts? And what have I made those facts mean about me or about another person? What have I made those facts mean? And that's a very, when you talk about words and how important it is, how important the words are, that takes it away from this is the one and only gospel truth to what have I made those facts mean. Because we all have our own interpretation of the facts. And we have to ask ourselves, what are the assumptions and conclusions that I drew that led to my beliefs? So I'm going to give you a little sample here. A woman I know owns a dog park. We're going to call her Sunny. I like to call her, it's not her real name, but she's a sunny, basically a sunny person. And she has about 35 employees, and when people come to work at the dog park, this company tends to attract, what would you think? Dog lovers. And what do the dog lovers think they're going to be doing all day? Loving dogs, playing with dogs. Now, they take in between 80 and 100 dogs a day. What do you think the reality is of what those people actually do all day? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, lot of scooping, scooping that's going on there. A lot of it going on. Most, hopefully most of it outside. But also you have little dogs, you have big dogs. They can't always play in the yard together at the same time. Could be some accidental injury. You've got some that have been outside for long enough. It's time to come in and cool off. You've got others that need to go from out to in. You have some that actually need to be kenneled for a nap. You've got towels to wash, floors to wash. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on, and it's it's a very chaotic, unpredictable environment, right? Now, she gets really frustrated because, in spite of coming up with systems and rules and policies and procedures, mistakes get made. This is what happens. I mean, you're 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 in a a, a dog park with animals that don't understand the English language and don't always do exactly what you want them to do, and she gets very frustrated because. Some of her employees don't make good decisions, and they don't take an initiative. And she believes, when we talk about this, they just don't care. 
they just don't care, especially young people. You know, these younger people, just they just don't care. They don't take any initiative. That's her story, that the employees don't care. Don't care. So let's use this model, this process, and ask ourselves, what are the facts, and what did I make those facts mean? Okay, what are the facts in this situation? Just pop them off quickly. What are the facts that we know? The dog park? Lots of dogs? Chaotic environment? Young employees? <laughs> and one thing I probably neglected to say is that the, the demographic group, it is, it is mostly younger people, and it's probably not their entire career. They are probably not going to retire from the dog park. It's a stepping stone into, into something else, okay? And another fact is that most of these employees are working at minimum wage, and they spend most of their time cleaning up messes. Now, what did she make those facts mean to her? What be your guess? What did she, based on what I told you, what did she, what, what did she make those facts mean to her? Well, she made them mean they don't care, right? Okay, what is it? let's look at the assumptions and conclusions. We're going to make this up a little bit because there's not just a, a be-all, end-all answer to that. But one of the assumptions is these are not the brightest people or they wouldn't be working here, right? This may be the only job they could get. That's an assumption. A conclusion might be people who are smarter than this get better jobs. They're going to be working at Telefloor, right? <laughs> and so that has developed into a belief that my employees just are not capable of taking initiative and that evolves into the story they don't take initiative because they don't care that was her process now let's go back Let's rewrite the story. That's what we're going to do. What if she suspended all of those assumptions and conclusions and beliefs and we wrote, rewrote the story this way? What if you were running a dog park and, or working at a dog park and you had 100 dogs a day running around you and you're responsible for cleaning all the time and getting them in and out and all of the other things I talked about? And despite all the systems and the policies and the rules, there are times when stuff happens, right? Things happen unexpectedly. There's a lot of unpredictability to the situation. And what if some of those situations can't be covered precisely by a policy or a rule, and you just don't know what to do? <laughs> it sounds like everyone's job. And what if you had no training on problem solving? And what if you had no training on how to make critical decisions quickly under duress? You might just stand there. Or you might do something and you might take initiative and then your supervisor might tell you you did it wrong. 
that you did the wrong thing. Right? So this is the damage that we can do when we have a story, because there's, there are really a lot of things that she can do, and I am happy to say, I was just telling Danielle, she's planning a staff retreat that I'm facilitating in uh, early in October, and we're going to get into some of these things about taking an initiative and problem solving and critical thinking. So we've got one other factor here that I want to explain, and that is what is the role of feelings in rewriting our stories? And our feelings, we believe, are important, but we also tend to believe that feelings might be where things start. And so, for instance, something happens, we have a reaction or a feeling. We see something, we have a feeling. We hear something, we have a feeling. And we also tend to believe that we feel what we feel no matter what. How many times have you said or heard someone else say, that's just how I feel. I can't help it. That's just how I feel. That's not true. And that's not exactly what happens. It's not accurate. Feelings don't come out of nowhere. Feelings come from what we think and what we believe. So here's an example that might happen in the workplace. Let's say you co-chair a team, a project team with a, with a co-worker. You're in lateral positions. You're co-chairing this team together. You've been moving along, making progress. But on this particular day, you are buzzing around doing eight things at once, trying to meet deadlines. And you walk by and notice that that team is meeting in a room with the co-chair, and you're not in there. And nobody told you about it. And you think, the first thing you do is think, oh, my God, he's trying to, I mean, he's got a hidden agenda. And you get really angry about that. I'm hurt. I'm, I feel threatened. And, and now I'm really angry. They're meeting without me. Well, let's tease this apart. If what we feel is a result of what we think and what we think is a result of what we believe, and that belief was probably formed a long time ago and you've never really thought about it, that's what leads to that reaction. Go back and take that same situation and say, what if your, your co-chair for this team has that meeting without you and, and you think that's not right, I should be there, and you believe He's trying to cut me out. I'm not important. He doesn't take me seriously. And so you end up feeling hurt, angry, or threatened. But if you tease that apart and suspend the assumptions and conclusions, what if your co-chair noticed that you had 10 other project deadlines to meet and you were really consumed with something more important? And what if he knew or she knew that this particular meeting was going to be a little bit on the lame side, a little bit inconsequential. And what if he said, I'll just spare you the trouble and was doing that to be thoughtful or kind. And you've got, you're over here all themed about it and it turned out there was really nothing to it. So we skip over those steps. When we have a feeling, we skip over the step of asking ourselves, what are my thoughts and what are my beliefs and what are the assumptions and conclusions that I drew about that situation? 
So this happens both directions when you're in a leadership position because that might something might happen with an employee and you start thinking and reacting there, but it can also happen for you in terms of your own career and your own career growth and what you want to do. So every one of us has stories and every one of us has lots of stories. I certainly know I do. And the, the trick is how do we slow things down, be more reflective, and start asking ourselves some deeper questions. So I want to see if each one of you can discover just one little story today that might be going on in the background that you could rewrite that story. So I'm going to ask you to turn to your handout which is, and look at page two. I think it's page two. And we've got some questions here. Yeah, so it's over on the back side. And the questions may seem a little redundant. I've asked certain questions and asked them in a variety of different ways because everyone, number one, because everyone relates to language differently and because there are a number of different entry points into discovering what these stories could be. So just take a moment and free associate. These are your papers. It's your journal. You don't have to turn them in and be graded. It's only for, you know, something for you to look at, and this will become a tool that you can, can use in any situation. The other thing I would say is as you jot down some notes about these questions, don't overthink it. I'm not looking to unearth a major childhood trauma, although sometimes that's where stories come from, right? Um, but just free associate and put down your first thought and see where that takes you. And you don't have to respond to all four questions, but go, respond to the one that seems to come most naturally to you. Probably the easiest one is the first one. What are you telling yourself you can't do? Right? I can't, um, I can't complete an MBA because I'm too busy or, I, again, I'm not good at technical things. Although my guess is in this company, everybody's pretty much got to be good at technical things. Or I'm not good at math. Or I'm not good with people. Right? Sometimes we tell ourselves, I'm not, I'm not a sensitive guy or, you know, stories like that. That's question number one. Or you can ask yourself, what have you been telling yourself about yourself? And a really important follow-up to that is, when in the past have you felt like this, particularly what is your earliest memory of feeling that same way? Because that's probably a clue to where a belief system started. Another entry point, another way of doing this is, Think of a place in your life where you're stuck or there's a recurring situation that's bringing negative or, or unpalatable circumstances to you. It's not, it's not ideal. Or you can recall a memory from childhood, something that has stayed in your mind even if you don't know why. Now again, this doesn't have to be tragic. It doesn't have to be a childhood trauma. For example, uh, when I did this work the first time, question number four, recall a childhood memory, something that stayed in your mind for the first time. I don't know why, but here's what I remembered. I was about four years old, and my mother had fixed 
hot roast beef sandwiches for dinner. We don't see this on the menu too often these days. But we lived in upstate New York. People ate a lot of pot roast. How do you use leftover pot roast? You put a slice on a piece of bread, which back in those days was like what I call gummy white bread, you know, the old Wonder Bread. And then you smother it with brown gravy, which, you know, if you're going to a diner on Route 66, that might be kind of a fun nostalgia meal to have right now, but I was four. It this did not look good. This was not appealing to me in any shape or form. So I spent a lot of time pushing that food around with my fork. And, of course, that was in the days where, you know, you better eat your dinner and eat every bite. So we had this little power struggle going on with me procrastinating and my mom saying, you know, you have to eat all of your dinner. And about that time, a family friend dropped by, and I don't know why, but to this day, I still remember his name. His name was Al Markle, um, a guy about my parents' age, probably a handsome guy. And so he gets clued in on this power struggle and what's going on, and he leans down and whispers in my ear and says, Darcy, if you eat all of your dinner, I'll take you down to the corner store and buy you a better finger. What do you think I did? ate the whole dinner, right? Where's the story? What's the metaphor that is a clue for a belief system that could have affected the rest of my life? What's the metaphor in that story? There you go. If you choke down enough stuff that really gags you, some handsome man is going to Stroll in and give you a sweet reward, right? That I'm still waiting <laughs> on a white horse. Yes, I'm still waiting. But that you see the power in this of what seems very not. This is just a memory. This is just a memory that came out of nowhere and really wasn't all that traumatic. Well, you got to tell time. Now that was traumatic, but. Okay, so go through and, uh, and answer that question or one or two of those questions and put something down on your paper. And if anybody has an example they're willing to share, something, I don't want to necessarily turn this into group therapy, we've only got five minutes left, but um, did somebody have a, a, a memory that came to mind or some, something where you're stuck? Yeah, I don't want to when I was in when I was in grade school, I had a teacher that you know girls were not going to have. There you go. There you go. And I, I that haunted me for a long time, and I'm like, I just wanted to tell you know that it's great about but um, but it's you know he just kind of made an assumption about every girl he ever met. Yeah. Exactly. But what's funny is probably I bet you probably the three or four years after that. Okay, for those of you on the phone, if you didn't, did, I'm guessing you didn't hear that story. I'm guessing they gave up. <laughs> oh, well, the story was um, a woman said back in grade school she had a teacher that said, girls just aren't good at math. And so even though she was great at math, it affected her grades for the next few years because that, that got penetrated. You know, you took in that information. So it's something, it's something along those lines. Um, okay, so take whatever you came up with and ask yourself, what are the facts and what did I make those facts 
new community. In other words, let me look at your handout and make sure that I'm asking you the questions in the order that you've got them. Based, yeah, what are the facts in that situation? And based on those facts, what were you thinking? And what beliefs came out of those thoughts? Or what beliefs led to those thoughts? Right? Then, based on the thoughts, what feelings do you have? What assumptions did you make? And what conclusions did you draw? I'm going to give you another example of how, this, how these things that we, we may not be completely aware of can affect us. And this comes from the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson. How many people saw the movie 42? Not a lot of movie goers in here. Okay, but we all but we all know the story about about Jackie Robinson, the first black baseball player that the Dodgers hired. Go Dodgers! And um, so the scene is that there's a, a young boy going to the baseball game with his dad and a lot of his dad's friends. This boy's probably seven or eight years old. They are happy. He's so excited. He's got his mitt. You know, he's ready to catch a a foul ball, and there's just all of this excitement about the game and, and lots of happy, smiling faces. And then Jackie Robinson takes the field. This is in the deep south. Jackie Robinson takes the field, and as most of you, I mean, this was, this was shocking. This is absolutely shocking. And so the crowd goes into an uproar, and he sees his father and his father's friends start calling names and, and racial slurs, and you can just see the expression on this boy's face. I mean, he went from happy to confused, and he couldn't quite figure it out. And the next thing you know, he's doing the same thing. He's doing exactly what his dad and his friends are doing. These are stories. These are stories that develop into belief systems, right? So you want to try to peel off the layers of something that's going on for you right now and look back and see where was the origin point for this. So, okay, we've got just a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to give you an example of how if you work through this process, oh, and by the way, think about this when you're managing employees too, and an employee says, I'm not good at that, or you see that they're getting stuck in the same spot and like, what might really be going on for them? Is there a way I can help them think more deeply about this situation? Is there a way I can have a conversation with them and ask them what are their thoughts and assumptions and conclusions and beliefs and how can I help them rewrite their story so that they can embrace their full potential? So I know that this is deep and I know that it takes time to reflect. And it's worth it because this type of process affects not just your life and your career here, but your entire personal life as well. But here's an example of what can happen if you do this work. I have a friend named Mary. In fact, I think Danielle knows her. Mary has four or five daughters. She's about my age. And several years ago, um, she was having a conversation with one of her daughters. And her daughter was, was in training to run a marathon. And mom said, wow, that is great. I am so proud of you. I'd like to lose a few pounds to tell you the truth. And her daughter said, well, why don't you run with me? And mom said, I can't run. I'm just not athletic. 
I'm just not athletic. And I'm clumsy besides. So, but mom does start, Mary starts, to walk. And so she's out walking one day, and this conversation is going through her head. And she asks herself, you know, what if I could run just from here to the light post? I mean, just a few strides. What if I bet I could do that. So she does. She runs from here to the streetlight. And the next day she's walking and she says, what if I could run from here to the end of the block? And then the next day, what if I could run all the way around the block? And you know what she did. It was more. And it was more. then it was a mile. And then it was five miles. And my friend Mary, at age 50, ran a marathon, 26 miles. And she did that because she stopped telling herself, I can't do this, and changed it to, what if? What if I could do this one thing? So that's the power of rewriting your stories. And most of us are so busy that we just don't take the time to reflect. And oftentimes it takes someone holding up a mirror so that we can see ourselves in a different way. I hope I've held up a mirror for you today, and I hope you can do the same for the employees that work for you. Because this is the work that will help you be a better leader, and this is the work that will help you achieve success in the goals that are meaningful to you in your career. Two minutes over. Okay. All right. Certainly, I think there are people like to get questions. I know some of you may have other obligations or meetings, but certainly if you need to leave, do that. But if you like to ask a question, that's fine as well. Be happy to. Here's what I, here's what I would They're gone. Um, here's what I would say. Don't get tangled up in... Um, In making the questions harder than they are, put down your first thoughts, and because it's not a right or wrong thing, it's an exploration, and then see what happens. And if you if you get onto one particular thing and you think you're onto something and you're stuck, my phone number is at the bottom of the page. Happy to help you work through it. I'm the metaphor girl. So I will share. So I've done this exercise with Darcy over the years. So I will share with you two things that. I'm interested to your writing. So two of my stories were that I am very shy. So I can't leave, despite very well. where I am in my career. Uh, and my, but my second story was that I was bad at math. And so frankly, I used to send a box my spread. I had some of my Excel spreadsheets, and I was like, please help me with this. And you know, I got good at this. Well, then I I kind of got over that. You know, here at Teleflora, helpful piece, not only analytical, but good at math. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, well, I can't keep spending a lot of spreadsheets. This is career limiting. So I went on to Linda.com and took some advanced Excel courses. And really now, uh, any of you who see my stuff, I'm really good at it. Like I'm really good at it. <laughs> I have no idea. But for the first 40 years of my life, I told myself, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a creative person. I'm not good at math. As though it were either or. As if it was either or. Right. Yeah. Like you can't be a good writer and a creative person and good at math as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I am, I'm, I'm good at math. 
ันไม่ได้เจ้าอยากเซลฟี่นี่เงาบอกเขาจะไปไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไปที่ไหนไป
Carlo and Marie is a perfect example of that. Doesn't have to be great because I don't know anybody more creative or more smart. So my website is at the bottom of your handout, DarcyHarris.com. I hope you will go in and there, there are three free podcasts that are in the self-development, self-growth area. Just sign up for the three free podcasts. There's also free webinars and so forth on there that are, because I do both things, the, the personal lay therapy <laughs> thing and the, and the business skills. My, my role is to help you see yourselves better so that you can be better leaders. So um, hit the website, sign up for the free podcast and the free web webinars, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back to talk about something else fun. And it won't, it won't be spreadsheets. <laughs> you know I am great at shortcuts. I just don't like them. <laughs> Thank you very much.